When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Latin American History Podcast, episode 25, Columbus's Fourth Voyage. Today we are getting back to the Spanish, the Caribbean, and the story of Columbus. Last time we caught up with him, his colony was spiralling out of control. He had unruly subjects abandoning his settlement and founding their own colonies in a display of insubordination. His position had grown so weak that he couldn't even do much about it. He had alienated the locals, those who hadn't died, and many of his colonists wanted to go home. Overshadowing everything was the lack of gold and spices he had discovered, and to make matters worse, the king and queen had found out about how things were going, and they had sent a man out to replace him as governor. This man had turned out to be no fan of Columbus, and had him arrested and sent back to Spain. This looked like the end for Columbus's career. As you can probably guess from the title of this episode, however, it wasn't. That said, his status would never rebound up to previous levels. He lost many of the rights he had negotiated, including being viceroy of the lands he had discovered, and the right to 10% of all wealth created by his discoveries. Despite this, the king and queen were shocked at the actions of their new governor, Bobadilla. They had replaced Columbus, but they didn't want him arrested. Even if he had run the colony into the ground, it was still he who had discovered it in the first place. Without him, there would be no colony to run into the ground. Columbus still had supporters as well. Some were even willing to fight for him. When an expedition set out to explore the South American coast, which Columbus had discovered on his last trip, fights occurred on the streets of the colony between the explorers and the supporters of Columbus who believed that it was still only Columbus who had the right to explore. We will cover this trip in an upcoming episode, so I won't discuss it here. But it needed mentioning, as it shows both the level of support Columbus managed to retain among certain people, and that despite this support, the New World was well and truly no longer his personal project. Back in Spain, once he'd been freed, he hung around for about two years, trying to persuade the monarchy to give him another shot. There was no way they were going to restore him to his position, but in 1502 they let him have another go at exploration, 
as, despite his governing failures, he had always done pretty well when simply exploring. They told him to finish the job. If what he'd discovered so far was a new land on the way to the Indies, then the Indies were likely reachable if he continued to explore. He was told to find a route there by travelling beyond the Caribbean, and under no circumstances was he to stop at Hispaniola. He was given only four ships to do this with. Of course, we now know that his job was impossible, because the entire landmass of the Americas was in the way. Of course he would fail to achieve this objective. They didn't know that, however, and so he set off. After a quiet Atlantic crossing, he reached the southern Caribbean, but here he encountered the beginnings of a hurricane. He set off for the colony of Hispaniola, disobeying his instructions so that he could wait it out. When he got there, he found a bit of a mixed bag. In a twist of fate, which seemed straight out of a magic realism novel, his enemy and replacement Bobadilla had himself been recalled to Spain and replaced by a new governor. He would only find this out later, but what's more, Bobadilla had become caught in the same hurricane Columbus was trying to avoid. Twenty out of the thirty-one ships making the trip back to Spain sank, including Bobadilla's and that of the rebellious Roldan, who had caused Columbus so much trouble by founding his own settlement. The ship carrying Columbus's wealth and possessions survived, however, so if Columbus was an unforgiving man, who wasn't above enjoying the death of his enemies, he must have gained a certain amount of satisfaction from this whole episode. His enemies were gone, yet his wealth had somehow survived. Unfortunately for Columbus, however, the new governor was not much more amiable towards him than the previous one had been. He refused Columbus's ship's access to port, despite the storm. Columbus was forced to shelter in the estuary of a nearby river, but he managed to avoid the worst of it. He then skirted around Jamaica and the western tip of Cuba, before heading south into unknown territory. Soon he reached the Central American coast, initially finding a small island just off the coast of Honduras. He proceeded towards the mainland, and spent two months working his way down the coast of Honduras, Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Interestingly, as you'll know if you've listened to earlier episodes, Honduras was the southern boundary of the Maya world. While their heyday was long past by this point, they would still have possessed more signs of what the Spanish considered civilization than the peoples the Spanish had encountered so far. There's reason to believe that Columbus may possibly have encountered Maya boats loaded with goods and tools which the peoples of the Caribbean lacked. As he was looking for signs of advanced civilization, with the hopes of finding the great empires of China and India, it seemed strange that he chose to head southwards rather than north to investigate. For whatever reason, he didn't, and he worked his way down almost the entire eastern coast of Central America. This was all new territory to the Spanish, and so far, their only sight of the American continent proper had been down in Venezuela. This was new land which could be claimed for Spain, but as this was clearly not Japan, China or India, and there seemed to be no route westwards past the mainland, Columbus was again frustrated in his attempts to reach Asia. The next stop on the way southwards was what is today Panama, 
and it was here that Columbus decided to stop for a while. This is close to where the Panama Canal is today, and this was chosen as the site for the canal because it's the thinnest part of Central America. A local cacique told him that another ocean lay just a few days away. This was, of course, the Pacific. Although he had not found a way through to this other ocean, he was satisfied with his information. He did not know that Asia was in fact an enormous distance away across this ocean, and concluded that he must be somewhere in the east, and someone else could fill in the details. There was also gold in the area, which the Spanish traded from the local people. Taking all this into account, he decided to build a fort there, as he had earmarked the site for a future permanent settlement. He then set off on some light exploring in the nearby area, leaving the fort garrisoned by only a few men. To his dismay, however, the fort was then attacked, and he was forced to rush back and relieve it. They managed to beat back the locals, but they lost a ship in the process. Now at this point, it seems that Columbus decided to give up. He was old, and in bad shape, and his ships were equally battered. He had found some gold, made some new discoveries, and thought that the riches of the East were somewhere around here, so they could easily be found later. With what we know about his personality, and taking into account recent events in Hispaniola, he was probably also feeling let down and fed up with his Spanish patrons. He decided to head home. The trip was over. Unfortunately for him, however, it was in fact far from over. Another ship was quickly lost at sea, and thanks to the bad state of the remaining ships, he decided that they had no choice but to head to Hispaniola, despite being denied entry earlier in the trip. They wouldn't even make it there, however, as soon they were caught in a storm. They managed to reach the uncolonized Jamaica, where the last two ships finally sank. Columbus and his crew were marooned. They didn't know it at the time, but they would spend a year in Jamaica. They seemed to have established at least neutral relations with the inhabitants of the island, and they were able to buy a canoe from them. A man named Diego Martinez then used it to set off on a lonely and dangerous trip to the colony at Hispaniola. He made it in one piece, but on arrival he was again denied entry to the port. It was clear that Columbus and his men would get little or no help from the governor, but with no other option, he was forced to camp outside the settlement for seven months before finally being let in. Even once he was allowed in, it took several more months before he was able to get hold of a ship to take back to Jamaica. While all this was going on, Columbus and his men were in a precarious position. Neutral relations with the native Jamaicans would not do. Just keeping them happy enough to stop them attacking was not enough. The Spanish needed help to obtain the food needed to survive. In a clever trick, Columbus drew on his scientific knowledge to predict a lunar eclipse. This impressed the Jamaicans and probably helped keep them on site. They continued to provide the food Columbus and his crew needed. Despite this, the situation was still serious, and as the months marched on with no sign of Martinez returning to rescue them, it must have been demoralising. At some point in the year, there was a mutiny, which may have involved up to half of the stranded Spaniards. Columbus was able to see it off, 
but he must have been on his last legs by now. Almost everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. Finally, Martinez sailed into view, having obtained a ship, and the beleaguered men set off on the long voyage back to Spain. Fortunately for them, there were to be no more mishaps, and they eventually pulled into port there. Just as with the last one, the results of this voyage are mixed. You could, of course, easily judge it as a disaster. He had been stranded for months and had to fight off yet another mutiny. He had again failed to find Asia or any great riches. You could, however, attempt to spin it positively. Columbus had, after all, advanced Spanish knowledge of the New World, and at this point, almost everything known about it had come from his trips. We don't know how the king and queen saw it, but it was probably not at the forefront of their minds. Isabella died 19 days after Columbus reached Iberia. We have seen in previous episodes that Columbus had long been suffering from health problems, and now they were really starting to get the better of him. He died in 1506, about a year and a half after his return. He went to his grave probably still believing that he'd found Asia, and most likely protesting that if he had just been given more support, he could have discovered the riches of the Spice Islands and China. Now seeing as he is such a momentous and well-known figure, I feel that I should try and sum him up here. He was clearly a bad governor, and had a habit of blaming other people for his own failings. He was, however, an excellent sailor, and he was hard-working, driven, ambitious, and it appears that he was not afraid of anything. Sometimes I wonder how a man can discover a new world and still end up with a negative reputation amongst his adopted countrymen back home. I think it's probably because he overstretched himself, thanks to ambition and greed. As far as I can tell, he didn't really have to transition from successful explorer to mediocre governor. He had demanded the right to govern before setting off on his first journey, but he could have easily stuck to the exploring and avoided all the problems that arose once he started trying to run the colony. If he had done so, he might have discovered much more, and surely his legacy and reputation would have remained positive. Of course, there's also another element to that legacy, the moral one. His memory has become increasingly politicised in recent years. While he has his own day in the USA, there have been protests, as some think that they should not be celebrating a man who bought the death of so many Native Americans, and not just those of North America, as well as the conquest of their lands. There is of course truth to this, as we shall see, those deaths and dispossessions will be enormous and often brutal. Columbus himself also demonstrated that he wasn't above being the direct cause of those things. He did this with his slave ship of Tainos, and his attempts to take control of Hispaniola. I don't think it's fair, though, to lay the blame squarely on his shoulders. As we shall see next episode, his immediate successors in the colony committed worse atrocities, not that that excuses his own behaviour. Most importantly, however, the new world was going to be discovered at some point, and it just so happened to be him who did it. Alternate histories and what-ifs never lead anywhere, as you can never go beyond the realm of speculation but it seems pretty possible that the main themes of the colonisation of the Americas 
would have played out in a similar way had Columbus not existed. There is also a point to be made about not judging people by the standards and morals of the time which you live in. To put it bluntly, it seems that most people were pretty horrible back then when judged by our own standards. The universality of morals is a massive philosophical debate in itself, and I won't try and dive into that discussion. I don't know what I think of Columbus personally. I don't have a positive opinion of him, and he did some things which would obviously appall me if they happened now. But I don't really know how much I condemn him. To be honest, it doesn't really matter what I think anyway. Despite Columbus's death, there was still one more chapter to his story. Remember how he had been awarded the governorship of everything he discovered, as well as 10% of all the riches obtained from his findings? Well, his sons would spend the decades after his death trying to reinstate his image, and more importantly, trying to win back those material rights. Beginning in earnest, around two years after his death, his sons would launch a series of court battles which lasted almost 30 years. At one point, one of the sons, Diego, would be reinstated as governor of Hispaniola, although this would later be revoked again. In the end, a compromise was reached. Columbus's descendants would be allowed to keep the title Admiral of the Indies. They would, however, lose the right to govern the Caribbean, and instead they were awarded the feudal right of ownership of Jamaica and the Duchy of Veragua, a newly created title which had land in Panama attached to it. They also got a large annual payment. From here, however, the Columbus family gradually slipped out of the public eye. Next episode, we're going to focus on the colony of Hispaniola. We will take a closer look at how it was shaping up. We will also look at the man who governed it in its early years, after Columbus and Bobadilla had been replaced, as well as some of the major events which shaped those years. Finally, we will also start looking at some of the other exploration that was taking place at the time. Until then, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash the history of Latin America. And that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to get in contact at History of Latin America Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching for the Latin American History Podcast. The Twitter handle is at HistoryLatinAM. And if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com slash photo. That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.